Hi there, you're listening to More Than Potential. And on this episode, I want to talk about something that maybe you're not as familiar with. I actually did bring this up on a completely different episode. I don't know if you guys have listened to it, but if you haven't, go listen to last week's episode where I talk about Candace Owens, because I think I definitely do break down um, a little bit of this topic in that episode. So If you need a precursor, if you need a little bit of explanations and stuff, then definitely go check out that episode. But in today's episode, I want to talk about the Black Women's Empowerment Movement. Like I mentioned in the Candace Owens episode, this is an interesting topic because I see a lot of online culture actually influenced by this. And what that means is that there is a lot of significance and relevance to online events in today's topic. So let's just hop right into it. I don't really feel like an extended um, introduction is necessary. You know what I mean? So what is the Black Women's Empowerment Movement? Well, the Black Women's Empowerment Movement is an online movement online. So it's like a, it's uh, online and it's kind of like, There's whole campaigns around this. And it's meant to empower Black women through their lifestyle choices. And this online movement is kind of like similar to MGTOW or Men Go Their Own Way, if that makes sense. So when I talk about online movements, you have to consider it into context. Like online, there's different campaigns and there's different, you know, hashtags and, you know, content being produced about about this subject. So when I talk about online movements, that's what I mean. But who started it? You know, where did it come from? Well, basically, the the um, Black Women's Empowerment Movement started from Black female bloggers in the early 2010s, and probably a little bit before that as well. So when I talk about Black Women's Empowerment bloggers and Black women who were writing at the time, one of the most popular and well-known was Muslim Bushido, Evia, um, Brooklyn Blue, Etc. These are some of the earliest um, bloggers you can find. It's not all of them, though. There was a, a, a small group of them, but these are some of the most well-known folks. And so these bloggers basically took to the internet to write and discuss some of the topics affecting Black women of the day. So the, the best way to explain this is that I broke it down into several tenets and several beliefs so that you can understand what I mean, and I'm going to describe the the movement and what they believe and what they think. I don't think I've ever seen the Black Women's Empowerment Movement kind of summarized in this way, but this is what I understand based on my involvement in my research on the topic. And believe me, you got to do some digging because it's, it's, it's kind of hard to find. So here's the tenets. Self-help, self-preservation, and interracial dating and marriage. So I kind of made IR dating a tenant because at first I was like, well, is this really a tenant or is this an offshoot or a byproduct? And it took me a long time to really think about this, but I realized that in a lot of my research and, you know, remembering the blog posts and things that were written, interracial dating and marriage was actually posed as a solution. So it, it didn't serve as some sort of marginal byproduct. This was actually like a solution. This was actually a key part of what they were encouraging women to do 
as part of their lifestyle choices. So let me break down the tenets real quick. Self-help. So when we look at like a lot of the Black Women's Empowerment uh, blog posts, and um, even there's some videos on YouTube that are still kind of lingering around a bit. A lot of it was based on education and fitness, uh, mental health, things of that nature. So there was a self-help component because they weren't trying to actually empower Black women. They were actually trying to help Black women navigate society better through their choices. And so a personal choice is, you know, getting active and getting fit and going to school, getting your degrees, working hard, things of that nature. Like they really were trying to empower Black women to choose better for themselves. Um, This one doesn't really need much explanation because a lot of them were absolutely proponents of, you know, Black women losing weight and, you know, leveling up, quote unquote, in society. Now, granted, the phrase level up is referencing something entirely different. And trust me, I will talk about it. So um, the next tenet is self-preservation. And so what do I mean by self-preservation? Well, simply put, um, a BWE blogger will basically tell you that the best way for Black women to put themselves first is to divest, quote-unquote divest. Um, Now, what does divest actually mean? That's a whole other conversation, and I will get to it. I promise I'm not going to ignore this, but the simplest explanation is that divestment or to to divest has a very specific definition, right? Um, But you have to look at the word in context, There's a difference between the definition that you'll find on Merriam-Webster's dictionary versus what Black women mean when they say divest. So the definition, meaning just what you'll find, is that divest means to deprive something of a particular quality, deprive someone of power, rights, or possessions, or to rid oneself of something that one no longer wants or requires such as a business interest or investment. Now, I feel like the most concise way to explain this is that the third one I said, which is rid oneself of something that one no longer wants or requires, such as a business interest or investment. That's the closest to what Black women are saying. So in context, what do Black women say? Or what are Black women saying when they are using the word divestment or hashtag divest or whatever. They're saying to remove interests, allegiances, and loyalty and investment from the Black community as a whole. That's what it means to divest. So under this tenet of self-preservation, Black uh, women's empowerment bloggers would feel that the best thing for Black women to do to preserve their life and preserve their interest is to remove their interest and investment, allegiances, loyalties from the Black community in favor of other things. So that could include actually physically moving from the Black community, you know, physically removing yourself, not voting Democrat or um, things of that nature. Like they, they are really advocating for Black women to choose something else that's not associated with Black people. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know, I know that that's what they're saying. So the third tenet is interracial dating. Now, 
When I talk about self-preservation, which is a completely different tenet of the BWE movement, you could say that a BWE blogger would say divestment, meaning removing your allegiances, loyalty, investment, could also mean removing yourself from the Black community, not just physically, but also ideologically, and even as a partner, removing your interest in having Black men as partners. And I would agree with that, but I really do think after, you know, rereading a lot of these blog posts that these women were actually prioritizing IR dating like they actually were. And I would say it's actually a tenet of the BWE movement, not just a byproduct. And I'll talk about some of the byproducts of the movement. Uh, But I I really do think that interracial dating and marriage, meaning um, Black women's assimilation, was seen as self-preservation, but this specific type of assimilation via marriage was probably one of the most important things a Black woman could do. And I definitely think they pushed it super hard. And so when I say interracial dating, I mean literally dating and marrying someone who's not in the Black community, like someone who's not even Black. They really did prioritize this and pushed it a lot. So several of the byproducts of of this specific tenet would include femininity and hypergamy, which are basically separate movements of their own, but they are the byproduct of this larger discussion around Black women's empowerment. All right, so what exactly are the beliefs of a BWE blogger or proponent, right? Well, okay, so this is where it gets really interesting. (laughs) So... I feel like I've seen a few people try to break down the Black women's empowerment space, but they're not really clear on what the actual beliefs are. And I think that's important. I think that's really important because if you're going to talk about it, at least be fair. So what are some of the beliefs? One belief is that the Black community is dysfunctional. Okay, these people are acknowledging that the black community itself has become a very dysfunctional and dangerous place for women and children. Another belief, uh, black men are misogynistic and will not change. They are beyond saving or beyond redemption. Now, this is actually important to talk about because In order for you to understand why this movement has taken hold, you would have to understand that these women believe the threat to them and to their existence as severe and very real. The threat is real, so the solution has to be real. The threat is extreme, so their solution has to be extreme. So if we say Black men are misogynistic and they are not intending to change, they are beyond redemption, they are beyond saving, that means the threat from Black men is so extreme that Black women have to literally pack up their bags and leave, right? And so when we talk about what this means in the context of the community, A lot of BWE bloggers do believe that the Black community is beyond redemption and that we are the permanent underclass. So when you hear this phrase permanent underclass describing Black people, I'm not necessarily saying it came from the BWE movement, but I am saying 
the BWE movement did popularize the term in reference to black people. You getting what I'm saying? Or you're picking up what I'm putting down? All right, cool. And so another um, belief is that black women can and should pass on their genes via IR dating. Now, this one was interesting because I don't feel like this is talked about often. A lot of people think that black women are just getting with white men because they feel like black men are misogynistic and harmful and dangerous. And you would be right. But another part of this that I don't feel like is touched on often is there are some more popular BWE bloggers still existing, still kind of in, the, in, in you know, out here. They may not be doing the same things they used to. They may have changed names or pseudonyms or whatever, but they're still out here. And one thing I've heard, and one thing that black women do actually believe, is that black women specifically should pass on their genes to continue the species because we specifically have something to offer humanity. Now, hear me out. I'm not suggesting that black women are wrong to say this, but it does take on a very weird uh, energy when you say that you are fine with breeding out black men because they are a conquered group of people and that black women are actually the more resilient of black men. So in the, in the black community, they would feel, some of them do, that black women are the most resilient, the most effective. And so as such, you can tell, according to them, because they look at the statistics or what have you, that black women are the ones who deserve to pass on their legacy. And even if that means that they have to do it without black men. And they'll do it via interracial dating. So it takes on like almost like a weird eugenicist turn sometimes because these women are basically saying like black women deserve to pass on their genes. They deserve to live on. And we don't need black men to do that. Um, which leads me to my next point, right? When we talk about the importance of this in interracial dating and marriage, you got to be clear that like a lot of BWE black, BWE, you know, movement proponents or followers do believe that this is the only solution left available for black women. <clears throat> you will see very fatalistic and doomsday predictions about what will happen to the black community, where the permanent underclass and as such black women's only chances of survival are removing allegiances and loyalties and going elsewhere. And so when we talk about this, I really want to emphasize the, 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 the problem is extreme to them. The problem is extreme. That's why you'll hear a lot of BWE bloggers talking about the rates of harm, domestic violence um, towards women and children, intimate partner violence. We're talking um, out of wedlock rates, meaning the percentage of black mothers that are single and having children. They are very, very concerned about these issues because they feel like this is, these are the signs of a failed community and a conquered people. Notice how I said conquered people. They, they really do see it in these terms. They see black men as conquered men. They see the black community as conquered people and a failed directive to kind of get black people to reproduce and um, create a healthy community that protects women and children. They don't see it. They don't see that that's happened. They see that men have failed and that the community has failed. And so they're, they're gonna bail. That's their thing. One more belief I think is important. Um, and I want to talk about this too. They also believe that um, 
how do I describe this? Basically, black men historically have silenced black women's voices about what is going on in their community. And that historically, all the way back, like before we even crossed the shores of the Atlantic, even in the continent of Africa, a lot of these women feel that black men have historically betrayed black women and um, continue to basically to continue to participate in the degradation of black women. And this is a historic problem that has lasted for centuries. And because they feel like black men have basically betrayed them in so many ways, it justifies their solutions. So does this sound fascistic? Yes. Is it? Yes. And I'm going to talk about some of the problems related to this in a minute. But do y'all get what I'm saying? Like a lot of this is because of the fact that they feel like there's a quote unquote ancient betrayal that black men have committed against black women. And as a result, black women have a uh, not just a, an obligation, but a, like a, it's not just about a personal choice sometimes. Sometimes it's like literally posed as a responsibility, an obligation to do what has to be done. So let's talk about a few of these related movements. So you'll see hashtag divestment, hashtag divest or die. That's a whole separate movement. Granted, it's related. It's under the BWE umbrella. And I want you to see specifically where it fits in, but it is related. Um, Two, you have the hypergamy movement and you have like the femininity movement. So a lot of these things are basically ways to achieve the tenets described above. What were those tenets? Self-help, self-preservation, and IR dating. So if you want to look at some of these online things that you see amongst Black people, specifically Black women, you need to remember that this is meant to address Black women's preservation of their life and their lifestyle choices. So the goal is to get the majority of Black women to change, course correct, alter their behavior and lifestyle choices to reflect self-preservation. And to Black women's empowerment bloggers, assimilation is self-preservation. Hopefully that clarifies a few things. So um, when I was talking about how online culture is affected by this, I want to be clear that like when you see a bunch of black women making content about femininity and how to be a more feminine black woman, it's because a lot of them do feel like black women are hyper masculinized and that Black women are always pushed to be the provider and the leader and the breadwinner. So to course correct, they're saying, Black women, stop trying to be masculine. Stop trying to lead the man. You need to be feminine to attract the kind of man and the kind of provider that will protect you in this system. And so what they're looking for, they're not doing this because they want a Black man. No, they're doing this because they want a non-Black man. Why? Because they're looking to assimilate. They're looking to get the protections that, you know, Black men could never afford them. And, you know, a lot of people, because they don't understand how this fits into context, they will be someone who supports Black women being feminine and patriarchal roles in the household, you know, in gender roles, but they don't understand how this fits into context. Like, a lot of them will be like, well, I'm going to be feminine for Black men. And it's like, no, 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 no. No, 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 no. Yes, femininity is a, is a, 
a movement of its own, but understand that when Black women are talking about being feminine, a lot of times this hyperfixation on performing womanhood in this way to return back to a time where we weren't feminine, I'm not sure why they feel this way, but they feel like they need to return back to a time when they were more feminine, right? Do understand they're doing that to assimilate into culture Assimilate into dominant society. It's not just because of black men. Some women who are in the femininity movement are doing it to appeal to black men, but that wasn't the intention. That's not why this movement has picked up storm and caused so much controversy online. That's not the reason why it became popular. I would say the same thing for hypergamy, the hypergamy movement, which hypergamy is just describing when you um, marry someone who is in a different socioeconomic class than you. So it's usually someone who's like above you. To marry someone below you in socioeconomic status or in a different class is hypogamy. And so the whole point is to assimilate into the culture and find someone with the most resources to protect you and provide for you and raise a family with you. And for a lot of Black women, when they're talking about hypergamy, like I said, this plays into one of their key tenets, which is interracial dating. They still believe that through the pursuit of femininity and hypergamy, they can get a man of high value who's not Black to take them on and protect them. That is the goal. That is not to say that there's black women out there who are hypergamous and aren't dating black men, because there are. But why did the movement become popular? Why did this movement of hypergamy become popular? Because black women are seeking to assimilate. So, I want to talk a little bit about the context around this movement, because I think the context is so important. Before I start railing into the critiques, we need to talk about the context, right? How did this happen? Where did this come from? How does a movement like this affect Black women? Like, you know what I'm saying? Because a lot of people don't put into context what this is even about, really. So let me be clear. This is what something a BWE blogger would say. And this is from their perspective. Simply put, Black women themselves have been in a position of servitude. We are conditioned as Black women to serve other people. This plays into the roles from slavery that we adopted forcibly on top of the fact that after slavery, Black women were still in a position to neglect their personal needs and their agency and their activism in favor of other people. We can see the ways in which Black women were systemically harmed, pushed off to the side, and marginalized in favor of other interests. In the Black community, this has happened quite a few times. The one example that you would be given is the Civil Rights Movement. So there were feminists, Black feminists at the time of the Civil Rights Movement, right? There were Black women who were really concerned about gender issues in the Black community. Just like there were white women concerned about gender issues in the white community. There was no alliance or allegiance between Black women and white women on the issue of gender. Why? 
because white women were concerned about gender issues specifically affecting them. They wanted black women as foot soldiers. But we had to acknowledge before that point, the feminist movement refused to align themselves with black women because they were racist, right? They were racist. They didn't want to do anything. They didn't want anything to do with black women. So years later, you know, was the civil rights movement, it's the 60s, it's a, it's a time of change, it's tumultuous. There could not be an allegiance. Black women did not want to align themselves with white feminists because they remember how the feminist movement treated non-white women when it first started. They, they alienated black women. So to come to white black women then and say, hey, black women, we understand that that stuff happened in the past, but we can we can join forces. Black women were interested. They were not interested because they, they saw how white women were trying to take advantage of them and their activism. So the same thing happened, but in the black community, because in the black community, we were really focused on the issues of race. And although there were women at the time who are still alive today, who are deeply concerned about the gender issue, they just said, nah, we're not, going, we're not going to split the black community over the issue of gender when we're trying to, to, to fight for equality for black folks. So they put aside the issue of gender for the time being and said, okay, well, we're not going to argue and beef with black men over gender gender right now. Let's just work on getting equality. Let's join our forces. Let's join hands and fight against the system to get what we're looking for. Okay? And that's what they did. And we made some progress. You know, we got school systems integrated, businesses integrated. You know what I'm saying? We got the Civil Rights Act of 1965 passed. You know, we, we made some, some progress. I mean, granted, they did start killing a bunch of the activists, but that's not the point. The point is we did make some progress before they completely rolled that shit back. So, excuse me, from the black woman's empowerment perspective, black women have always put the interests of the black community above themselves. They've always been asked to sacrifice something for the black community. A BWE blogger would also tell you about the pro-black conscious community meaning the black people who were super pro-black politically, who wanted, you know, a separatist, they were basically pushing for a separatist uh, separatist movement from white people. They wanted their own land and property to get away from white folks. And then these pro-black conscious communities, white black women were still seen as secondary. Gender issues were still seen as secondary. And what black women at the time noticed was a lot of the pro-black conscious leaders had affairs with white women. A lot of them, Martin Luther King is no exception. You know, he even had his own trist with white women. But these men were known to marry and pregnate white women. So black women watching this happen in pro-black movements, supposed to be for black families, right? Advocating for separatism from white folks were still, the men were still fornicating with white women. It didn't add up. So at the time, you know, black women, you know, writers were writing about, they were talking about all the gender issues of the day, right? That this is like the precursor to the black feminist movement. The black feminist movement did take off in the seventies and the eighties, but it still was very marginalized. So it's not like I'm going to say that it was like the majority of black women who were feminists, not true, 
But you start to see a lot of black feminist writings in the 70s to the 90s, basically giving context to black women and their experiences and explaining what was happening to them. So a BWE blogger would tell you that black women's voices have been marginalized and maligned for so long. They kept quiet. They kept their head down to make sure the community did not split apart. So the community could stay, quote unquote, united against on the race issue. And so this is the context for the BWE movement. But I would be remiss if it did not bring up the most important part. One of the most important influences of the BWE movement was not inner city crime, was not drugs, not the war on drugs, anything else. It was the popularization of hip-hop culture, meaning hip-hop became part of American pop culture. It became mainstream. And that's when we saw a lot of problems. The hip-hop community did not start off being anti-Black women. I am not here to suggest that. What I am saying is by the time we hit the 90s, hip-hop and rap music had become something else. The, the, the music of the day was degrading. It showed Black women as video vixens twerking and shaking their butts for men. It normalized the degradation of Black women as part of popular culture to the point where everyone just expected it. And this was a huge problem for women at the time because they were already experiencing lower marriage rates than other races. But it's even worse when you consider that these Black women were having a hard time socializing with other races as well. Not just with Black men, but other races too. We started to see a lot of issues with Black women trying to fight the socialized racism against them. And a BWE blogger would tell you that a lot of it is because of the negative portrayals of Black women in Black-owned music. Now combine this with the rise of interracial relationships between Black men and other races of women, specifically Black men and white women, and you have a huge problem. And so the response to the misogyny that Black women were experiencing was the BWE movement. The response to this sort of weird online subculture that started to form that degraded Black women as single mothers and called them horrible people and everything else, this was also taking shape around the same time. Meaning, the Black male incels and the, the manosphere, as it's called, is not just white dudes. It's also Black men. So around the same time BWE bloggers were, were having these conversations, we saw a group of Black men with their own narrative that aligned with the mainstream media taking shape. So this is the context for the BWE movement. Now, we would have to have a conversation because I feel like the BWE movement is a perfect example of misogyny versus misandry. The misogyny in the Black community that has never been dealt with, that Black men refuse to discuss, and the misandry of the BWE empowerment movement. I'll talk about it, but generally speaking, I feel like it's impossible 
to discuss the BWE movement and its influences without considering that what these women were trying to fight against was what they felt like a, a sort of evil that was done to them that had never been righted. And so long as Black women continue to suffer in a white supremacist system, and so long as Black men specifically participated in that oppression, Black women would never be seen as human beings and we would never have a, you know, a fair chance at anything. So like I said, to a lot of BWE bloggers, the, the problem was real. The problem was extreme. So the solution must be just as radical. So I'm going to make a very clear comparison. And granted, I did this in the Candace Owens video, but I want you to see what I'm talking about. So Candace Owens is the perfect divested woman. Why do I say that? Candace Owens feels no loyalties or allegiances to the black community. Candace Owens is interracially married and hypergamous. She was a poor black woman who married up to a white man with political connections. Old UK money. Old world money, right? Candace Owens is a media darling that white people love. She doesn't live in community with black people. She doesn't particularly care for black people, ultimately. Um, she does have a disdain for the majority of us. And she continues to participate in the femininity stuff because she does feel like the feminist movement that allowed for her to do what she does today is the problem. So she's adopted the mindset of men while discussing women. Candace Owens doesn't feel any sort of compassion or empathy for Black women either. Interesting, right? Interesting how Candace Owens is a direct reflection of the problems that she's experienced in the Black community. Now, if you want to know what I feel about Candace Owens, go, you know, listen to that, listen to that clip. Listen to that episode, because it's very clear. I spell it out for you. But I want to be clear about something. Candace Owens is what they aspire to be, but they don't have the courage to do. Well, how did I make this connection? How do you know I'm not pulling out of my ass? Well, I'll tell you why. Candace Owens, specifically when Micaiah Bryant, who was a 16-year-old black girl who was killed by a police officer, made some very damning statements about that 16-year-old. What did she call her? A knife-wielding maniac. So on her Twitter, go look on her Twitter, it's still up. She called Micaiah Bryant, a 16-year-old black woman. Well, not black woman, she was a girl. 16-year-old is a minor. She called a 16-year-old a knife-wielding maniac as if she was an adult. Now this happened basically right when the case first, the news first broke about the case. Candace Owens made some very damning statements, especially when George, the whole George Floyd situation happened about black male criminality. Who else has done this? Who else has talked about black male criminality? as the actual threat to black women and children. A popular divester, Chrissy. Now, I'm not throwing shade or anything like that. I'm not throwing shade. I don't believe there's any shade to throw. I'm just making the obvious connections. Within Candace Owens' statements being posted online, within two weeks later, 
I see a long video talking about the black male criminality in the black community and how that's the real issue. And how black women need to stop aligning themselves with black male criminals. You can even rope in the Breonna Taylor conversation and how Breonna Taylor evoked the same response from black women, that they were tired of being forced to deal with black male criminals. They were taking on the same tone and language and rhetoric as Candace Owens. I mean, who cares that these men were killed by police because, well, they hurt black women. And that means that that is a very difficult position for black women to be in. Now, I'm not saying they're wrong or right, necessarily, but it's weird when you take on a white supremacist language and white supremacist tone to talk about other black people. It's kind of weird, isn't it? But does it matter? If they're black men, does it really matter? I'm, I want y'all to really think about this because if black women are being hurt by black men, if the gendered violence is getting out of control, if black women are being degraded and it's part of popular culture to degrade black women, so much so that other races of men are gladly participating in the trends created by black men. When you see black guys putting on wigs, hair, and makeup to make fun of black women and make whole careers out of portraying black women as ghetto, loud, and ratchet, what exactly do you think black women's conclusions would be? Because black men can become millionaires, even a billionaire, Tyler Perry did it, a billionaire, off of making a black woman a caricature, pretending to be black women. It's actually a whole, sub, to me, it's a whole subgenre of comedy in the black community, pretending to be black women. And it's, it's a reliable route. A lot of black guys online take that route to be popular, to get, to get on, to get famous, to get money. So it's a clearly established route to being famous. Remember this too. When you have Kevin Samuels, a black man who's gotten popular, off of shaming black women. His, he actually got popular off of shaming a black woman, very specifically. His shit didn't pop until he degraded a black woman on a, on a live. And it, took, it just took a life of its own. How is it that misogyny against black women is so popular and so desired that people will pay you to do it? Tommy Sotomayor, the godfather of this shit. He was the godfather of turning hateful content about black people, but specifically black women, using white supremacist language to dehumanize black women and getting money off of it. The man made major profit from it, worked with white supremacists. White supremacists love that guy. They love him. He even went on and talked to David Duke. Like, y'all, this was, this is the online culture and this was the online culture. So when we see black women weaponizing the same white supremacist rhetoric, but maybe against black men, are we surprised? Like I said, I'm not gonna say, I'm gonna let y'all come to the conclusion how y'all feel about this, but I want y'all to really put into context what is actually happening or what these women are responding to and why they feel the need to do it, okay? So let's talk about my critiques of the movement because I, I now contextualize and gave you a little something to chew on. And gave you a little stuff to chew on. Let's contextualize this for a moment. I mean, after the context, let's talk about the critiques. So one, like I mentioned before, there is a movement that is comparable to the BWE movement. Um, you, can, you, you can think about Save Yourselves Black Men, which is a small movement of Black men who critique Black women in the same way Black women critique Black men. And these men don't want to deal with Black women. The majority of Black women don't want to deal with them. 
If they want to deal with a black woman, they'll deal with one that's not African-American. Um, that's a smaller movement, but the larger conversation is absolutely about MGTOW. Black men are just as involved in MGTOW and red pill culture as white guys. I don't know why we don't talk about it, because we just assume that white men who are doing this are racists and misogynists, and therefore are not able to be aligned with black men. But au contraire, the majority of the community does actually welcome men of other races, because shit talking about women is, is very popular. So it's similar. I think the BWE movement is similar to MGTOW in a way. This whole concept of going your own way, leaving half the population behind to do whatever the fuck. You know what I'm saying? That's very, that's not like an unpopular sentiment to have. You get so frustrated with the opposite gender that you just want to leave them alone. And I noticed that with black women in the BWE movement, they were just as guilty of using white supremacist rhetoric and name calling to describe black men. That's why they called them nigglets and nignogs and nakers. Naker? I don't know how to pronounce that. It's like nakers or whatever else. There's a bunch of like nicknames that black women in this movement have created to describe these guys, these black men. Um, What's it called? The He-Man Haters Club? Yeah, they have a whole bunch of white supremacist ass names to dehumanize these men. Fight fire with fire, I guess you could say. And just like MGTOW, they really do blame all of their problems on one group of people. Like the BWE movement really does blame black men for everything. But it's weird because like the systems that make black men what they are, are not critiqued enough because they don't care about the systems. These women are all about individuality. That's why they spend the majority of their time talking about black women's lifestyle choices. As a black woman's choices and the amount of choices available are not a direct reflection of white supremacy. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's very strange, but it's like they are blaming most of this stuff on black men specifically. And they're advocating for us to just like ignore white men's role in that oppression and to go pair off with them and whatever other race. Very strange, right? The goal is to pathologize black men's behavior as evil intentionally wrong and deviant. They want black men to be seen as beasts and subhuman because they feel that's what they are. Right? Okay. Number two. Another critique I have of this group is that they cherry pick data to fit their narrative. And it's so easy to do. All you have to do is be reasonably intelligent, you know, claim that you love data and facts and numbers, and then you only pick the stuff that suits your narrative. So for example, you know, if a black man says, well, black women, y'all the least desired. Okay. But black men's divorce rates inside their community and outside of their community are relatively high. So black men, I don't think you're desired much either. That's what a BWE movement blogger would say, right? You, uh, I don't know, like this, you can do this all day long, right? You can have a BWE blogger that says, well, black men, the violence that they do to women and children and da, 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 is ridiculously high. But then a black man would say, who's a part of the red pill, would say, well, black women, compared to all other races of women, you actually commit a lot of atrocities against your kids. By the way, you know, you can do this all day long, back and forth, back and forth is what they do. But with the BWE movement specifically, they are also guilty of something that MGTOW does or the black manosphere does. They will create a whole historical narrative 
about how they have been oppressed by black men. And specifically, we'll talk about how in ancient times, like it gets very mythical that black women were betrayed by black men because of this, how do I describe this? Basically, a lot of them believe that African societies were matriarchal first and then black men betrayed them and turned societies patriarchal, which led to the downfall of civilizations because they started working with white, the white men, the white colonizers coming over to the continent. And so they will find the data and the historical narratives to fit that specific like view of history. And so what ends up happening is they use their hatred. They use like this historical narrative to justify their hatred of black men. They'll be like, see, look how black men, the Moors, were sleeping around with white women and participating in the slave trade. And see, they will basically start to tell you all the horrible things that black men have done throughout history and be like, see, that's how much black men hate black women. See, that's why we don't need to mess with them because their hatred of black women is ancient. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? So that's basically what they do. They pick and choose historical stuff and data and statistics to to create a narrative around black men and pathologizing them specifically. Uh, Three, and I mentioned this before, but the whole misogyny versus misandry thing is a critique that I have because... First of all, misandry is hateful content. Misandry is hatred of men. Is it fair to say that BWE bloggers hate black men? Yes, I would say the majority of them, if they don't hate black men, at the very least, they're complicit and, excuse me, contribute to hateful content online about black men. Seriously. So, I mean, yes, this is the case. But this goes into the whole misogyny versus misandry content. Is black women's hatred of black men as powerful as black men's hatred of black women? That's a real question. Think about that for one second. If black men's, you know, incel communities and manosphere online can morph and create a Kevin Samuels, and granted, a lot of them will sit here and complain and say it's not true, but it is, it is. Kevin Samuels is right in line with a bunch of other red pill content creators who say the, basically the same thing that Jordan Peterson says, the same thing that Kevin Samuel says, the same thing as Joe Rogan says. They all say the same shit. Like, I've watched a lot of content about these guys, and they have a lot of overlap. That's why red pill men love them. That's why patriarchal dudes who propose gender roles and hate feminists love them. They say the same shit, Right? So is it fair to compare and say that, well, one is worse than the other? I would say, yeah, because one thing that's not talked about the BWE movement, which I've seen a few black men try to discuss this movement, but they don't really want to be honest about this. But the BWE movement died out for a good period, meaning that (laughs) I in a strange twist of irony, the BWE bloggers had to shut down. They went underground. Some of them changed names. Some of them didn't. They shut down their blogs. A lot of those blogs you can't even find today no more. Muslim Bushido's blog is still up, but her stuff ain't even really up like that. It's not like a bunch of blog posts that are up. Why is that? Because black women ran them off. Now, don't get me wrong. Black men were also involved in that, but the majority of people who were mad about what the BWE um, bloggers were saying were black women. For example... Kendall St. Charles or Brooklyn Blue, I guess, is her old pseudonym. Y'all do understand that Kendall St. Charles has massive influence in the current iteration of the BW movement. 
massive influence. This woman is like a ghost online. Can't even see her shit. But she, her, her presence is felt, right? And so it's very strange to see how most women today don't know her name, but they see that the legacy of what she used to say still lives on. Same thing with Muslim Bashida. Her shadow was felt. We still feel it because we see it. But these women have to go underground. They literally had to disappear because they got so much hate. So how is it that in a system that allows for a Kevin Samuels and a Jordan Peterson to get rewarded with financial benefits, make tons of money and become huge public figures, how is it that the same system forces women to go underground who say the same thing, but from the female perspective? What does that say about the nature of our society? We're allowing hateful content from men, but never from women. That's why I feel like the misogyny versus misandry conversation is really important to have because I'm not suggesting that hateful content in any form is good for society. That's never been my point. My point is one is actually allowed to proliferate and the other is not. Women will shut down hateful content. And it wasn't until very recently that we saw women hop on the bandwagon. Now, what does that say for gender relations when Black women start to embrace this within the past two to three years? I have no idea. I, I, I generally don't think it's a good sign when a lot of Black women today are taking these talking points and running with it. Because honestly, what 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 is the... I'll talk about that in a minute. I'm not going to go too far deep into my other points, but I just want y'all to understand, like the misogyny versus misandry conversation is so important because when we see these battles happen online... We need to look at who's actually winning. Who's actually winning? And it is not women, right? Black women are going to talk so much shit, but they're not going to do nothing. They're not going to do nothing, right? We know they're not going to do shit. And that's the problem. We know. That's why nobody takes them seriously. They're just like little gnats. You bat them away. They don't really do enough. But I'm going to talk about that in a minute. Um, Four is, of course, one of the biggest critiques I have is the white supremacist stuff. Like, these women... The BW League girls, the girlies, you know, the ones who, you know, are super about hypergamy and femininity and blah, blah, blah. And they love interracial dating. They just can't stand black women who love black men. It's like they don't really make the connection between that and white supremacy. They don't understand. I don't know whether it's because they're dumb or it's because they just don't get it. I don't know. But they don't make the connection. Like, it's very strange how a Candace Owens can say the same thing that they say, but they try to distance themselves from her as if she's not a direct product of some of their work. That's why a lot of the women who love Candace Owens are in the divest community, quiet as it's kept. They love her. The femininity chicks love, hypergamy chicks love her. Why? Because she's basically like what they want to be, but they never have the courage to be. Most black women would never. They're not insane. Hear me when I say, they love Meghan Markle and they love Candace Owens because they could never do what these women have done. Like, they don't have the guts. They don't have the guts, but... And Candace Owens specifically is a certain type of crazy. I, I really do think Candace Owens has a few screws loose. But I'm going to talk about why in a minute. Hear me out. I'm going to talk about it. I'm going to talk about it. But I, I think that, like, this whole thing with white supremacy is really getting black women because a lot of them... You know how messed up you have to be to be like, well, black men are this and that and pathologize and demonize black men, but then turn your ass around and be like, well, white men are better protectors. White men are this. White men are that. What? 
white women are not having a good time either. Why are we romanticizing white men or men of other races? Patriarchy is not just a white man thing. It's a global problem. Men been kicking women's asses for centuries, and it's not just white men. What do you mean? Only get with white men and expect to be treated better. Girl! But that's what they that's what they genuinely believe. And it's shocking to see it. They'll be looking at the rates of domestic violence between black men and black women and be like, it's because black men are this, that, and the third. They historically have always been fucked up. And I'm like, so y'all don't y'all don't think about how poverty affects this? Because poverty around the world increases the chances of bad things happening. Like you will see something very similar in the slums of India, okay? You will see the same amounts of incest and rape and all these bad things happening patriarchy and violence towards women in poor areas around the world like what exactly makes you think that black men are special in that it's called poverty poverty is a systemic issue it literally the rich allow poverty to continue so that men can oppress other people while they are also being oppressed that's the whole point of poverty to keep the status quo there has to be an underclass and a lot of black women don't realize that when they're talking about the black community being the underclass they're calling themselves the underclass you're just trying to escape the underclass and most of you will not so pardon moi if i'm a bit confused as to why these women don't get that white supremacy is the problem white supremacy is literally the problem Now, granted, a lot of them will say that it's not the problem and that black men have been doing this before white men i'm like but y'all it's 2021. We're in America. <laughs> right now, the problem was white supremacy. And a lot of them are kind of like picking historical facts because if we were to be historically accurate, we would have to admit that white supremacy today is much more potent and dangerous because in a lot of ways, the slavery that white people were committing, especially in the, in the, in the slave trade, the transatlantic slave trade, was probably the most brutal in the planet that existed. What do you mean white supremacy isn't a problem? It's a big problem. It's a historical issue. The way that white people in America have co-signed violence in other countries, yo, it is historic. And don't even get to me. Don't even talk to me about sex trafficking and how America has participated in the trafficking of children around the world. We got more child slaves now than we have had in history, apparently. Don't quote me on that, but this is supposedly what I've read. So hear me out. But like advocates of, you know, child trafficking have acknowledged that they believe this is the most child slaves we've ever had. We got like 10 million at least. At least 10 million of the slaves are children. So when we talk about how like this shit is kind of crazy, white supremacy is is really a bitch, okay? And like it's done so much of a number on people's psyche that they think that they can solve this shit by blaming everything on black men, like everything on black men. And ignoring how black women perpetuate the same toxicity. The same toxicity. That's why I I thought it was poetic justice in a way. That the BWE movement bloggers got kicked offline, stalked and harassed and bullied by black women. Imagine that. Black men are supposedly always the problem. But then like, black women chased y'all off. But this just goes to show that the final solution for black women is to become a Candace Owens. Seriously, that's why it doesn't surprise to me. Oh man, I'm gonna get some hate for this. I'm gonna get some hate for this. This doesn't surprise me that the final solution is to become a Brooklyn Blue, is to become a black woman that doesn't like other black women either. Because literally, you can't stop at only blaming black men because we are a community of people. Black men are a reflection of black women. 
So eventually you'll have to come full circle and be like, you know what? Black women too are the problem. And before you know it, you end up in the Candace Owens camp, making a lot of money, sowing hatred and discord, causing problems and really espousing white supremacist rhetoric. And of course, you got to throw in a sprinkle of mysticism to make black women feel special about their bullshit when we're actually just full of bullshit too. Like I said, I'm going to get hate for this. I'm pretty sure I'm going to get some death threats from this, but it needs to be said. This shit is whack. That's my final conclusion. It's whack. I was wrapped into it for a while because I guess like I, I needed to understand the world around me. I needed to... I needed to understand why things were the way they were in America. I needed to understand like why black men and black women were so contentious, the the fighting and the beefing. But I could have just read bell hooks, right? And just been done with it. I could have just listened to black feminists like, you know, uh, Kim Foster and been done with it. But no, I had to put the pieces together myself and then go on these BWE blogs and read and then think that I was doing something. But I wasn't doing anything. I was just reading propaganda and then fell for it for like two seconds. And then once I realized that this shit is toxic, this is online radicalization, I dipped out of there. I got out of there. Thank God. But this is how people become radicalized online. And that's what the point I want people to, to understand the BWE movement has very real concerns with misogyny in the black community. Very real concerns. That will always be an issue. And I feel like the only way to dead this problem, in my opinion, is for black men to come to the public square and openly acknowledge misogyny and how bad it is for black women, how it is harming black women. But they're not going to do it. I think that's the only way to shut this shit down because misandry is the response to misogyny. So if black men were to be like, you know what, black women, y'all are right. We got a lot of shit to work out, but you're right about us. We are misogynistic. We, we really have harmed y'all historically because of our misogyny. It's time to deal with it. If the majority of black men were to say that, this shit would be dead tomorrow. I do believe it because black women wouldn't have a reason then to stop mating and pairing with black men if they just acknowledge the obvious that misogyny is a problem. So basically, this is where I stand on that. You know, the community is whack. And I feel like, you know, one thing that I've seen a few divested women say, which shows me that this is a problem, like I think the BWE movement is going to run into some real issues, is that doing my research, just seeing, crawling online to see what's being said, um, a lot of Black women are in the space that I was last year. Because in 2020, I remember like early 2020, maybe even late 2019, actually, I remember feeling like as a quote unquote divested woman, that the black women who said they were divested weren't really divested, right? A lot of them will be like, I'm only for black women and girls. And I don't care about black men and what happens to them. I only care about black women. That's not real divestment. Like I said, the final end conclusion is for that hate to become internalized. You're going to have to realize that you hate yourself as a black woman, that you hate other black women like you, right? You're going to have to realize at some point, that your hatred of black men is really anti-blackness and white supremacists. And you're going to realize that you feel the same way about other black women. And so I remember sitting and realizing that a lot of little girlies, a lot of like little 18, 19 year olds who were just coming across this divestment shit, they were going nuts. They were, they were, you know, drinking all this stuff up about femininity and patriarchal gender roles. And they were like, we need to burn the cake for black men. 
and they would burn the cape for black men, the proverbial cape for black men, and then just start caping for non-black men and lusting and desiring after non-black men to validate them in their womanhood. Very strange. And watching this play out, I realized how much of a dumpster fire this that community was because what was happening was a bunch of backfighting and discord between BWE women, which has always happened, by the way. BWE women couldn't even get along with each other. That was part of their downfall. They couldn't even get along with each other. A bunch of backfighting and a bunch of discontent between people. Um, you had the girl, the little, the little young girls who are a little brain dead. They don't know better. They're running around telling the whole world, oh, we're divesting. Fuck black men. We don't care about black men. Blah, blah, blah. I'm a feminine woman. They spent their all their time online tweeting and arguing about black men. Now answer me this. If you're a divested woman, why do you give a fuck about what black men are doing? Why are you arguing with them in comment sections? If you are truly living a divested woman's life, feminine and fit and happy and hypergamous, why don't you just leave? You know what I mean? Just leave. Go be about it. Just don't say nothing. Because that's one thing that surprised me is that I always thought that divestment shit was an individual endeavor. I didn't think it was going to be a whole movement. And then we got to make campaign and protest and march, which is what some of them were trying to do. Some of them wanted to have a protest or a rally. And I was like, for what? For what? <laughs> like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not like trying to be rude. I was just like, what are we doing? So as a woman, I was sitting and watching all this, this dumpster fire of a community. And I was like, this is the problem with black people. Y'all are so dysfunctional that you don't even understand how you internalize white supremacy and you hate black women like Kimberly Foster who are showing you how you have internalized white supremacy. You don't want to believe it. So the answer to your problems is to hate other people in the community. And before you know it, you haven't accomplished anything but just cause drama and confusion. And so as someone who used to be divested, at that time, I was a quote unquote divested girl. I remember just being like, you know what? I don't need this. I'm going to live my life not be on the online bullshit. And that's that. I deleted all my social media accounts and focused on living my actual life, not being radicalized online, all that crazy shit. I just got back to the basics. And so I started seeing, during my research for this podcast episode, Black women who expressed the same, that they were sick and tired of the divestment community because it became a bunch of Black women complaining and man-hating and obsessing over finding a white man and trying to be hypergamous and feminine. And it was like, what? You know what I'm saying? Like, what? But the BWE movement could never have become anything else but that, though. So I think what we're just seeing is the fulfillment of all the stuff that was promised. And Candace Owens is the fulfillment of that. Candace Owens is the final solution. Brooklyn Blue is the final solution. That is where you end up. That's where you end up. You become fully radicalized and you hate all other black people. You seek to get away from black people, black women, black men, everybody black. Because everybody black did you dirty, right? And nobody wants to, does anyone want to talk about this, like in reality, how this plays out? Because it doesn't go well. White supremacy pays, guys. And so a lot of these people are basically getting paid lots of money to sell you a dream. And so I think that, you know, now that I wouldn't describe myself as divested, I guess, because anyone who's divested would never even make a podcast episode about it. They would just shut the hell up. 
But I'm only talking about this because I feel like I don't hear enough people saying what needs to be said. No one really wants to speak out about divestment. Everyone's on the bandwagon. And I just wanted to give a critical analysis of what I'm seeing because I don't know if anyone else is doing it. If, I, if, if, they're, if they're out there, I haven't seen it. I've seen Black men arguing about this in bad faith. I've seen, you know, Black women just proposing that this is the only thing for Black women to do. But no one in my camp who has seen what the BWE movement actually is, who's been heavily involved and stepped away from it because it's toxic and it's pointless. But I think this kind of goes to my last point is the futility of my existence because Black women haven't really got to that point yet. I don't think they understand a lot of this is just simply nihilism. Their lives are so meaningless and pointless unless they are hating somebody else. Because when I think about it, like Black people are really sad. We're just going, we're going through it. And a lot of Black people just need somebody to blame because everything just sucks so bad and they don't know how to fix the problem. And for me, as a Black woman, I'm kind of like torn. Because although, like I said, yes, the BW movement is trash to me. It's trash. The logic is just trash. When you think about it, it's just online radicalization. But you can't help but wonder what Black women are supposed to do, right? Because if we are constantly being told that we're shit and we're meaningless and we're worthless since we're little girls, not online, in real life. And we struggle with all these self-esteem issues and higher rates of domestic violence and assault. You know, I've been abused multiple ways. I've had men and women alike excuse my abuse and try to justify it, which is a whole other conversation. Like, my real life has been tragic. My real life has been trauma. I have a difficult time understanding as a Black woman what else I'm supposed to do. And I think a lot of Black women feel that sense of hopelessness and futility, which is why they're bonded by hate. They're trauma bonding because they don't know what else to do. They don't know what else to do to, to get out of the bond or the bind that they're in because everything seems to suck so bad. And as a Black woman, like, I don't hate Black men. A lot of Black men hate me, though. <laughs> they hate me because I'm critical of them. But I'm also critical of Black women. And a lot of Black women don't like me for that reason because I say what needs to be said. Like, a lot of Black people are just traumatized. A lot of us are coming from households of abuse, regardless of who's guilty of doing it to us. A lot of us are coming from situations where we're not financially stable. A lot of us are mentally unstable, which is why we're doing the crazy shit that we do. And when I see Candace Owens, I see a divested woman, but it's a colonized person. She's colonized mentally. You know how colonized you have to be? You know how mentally unstable you have to be to make a whole living out of hating Black people? And uh, insulting the culture that produced you? Very strange. And I can go, like I said before, I already talked about Candace Owens and how I feel about her. But Candace Owens has always been fanatic. She's always been radical, Right. Because Candace was someone who, before she became what she is today, was trying to get put on by being radical. She was trying, she experienced radical amounts of hate and injustice when she was younger. She got, you know, that she was introduced to that sort of hatred by people using racial slurs against her. That's how she won a, a, a case. And people had to pay her money for that case. She won a discrimination case. But on top of that, she also has experienced the fact that the only online bullying and the hatred and the trauma that she's gone through, I think she went through like a whole period where she was anorexic or bulimic or something. She had an eating disorder. So this person has been through a lot of trauma 
And I remember her saying that she actually had a blog or something where she was anti-Trump. She was super liberal, super fucking liberal, right? And then in 2016, she just flip-flops and becomes super, like, hyper, ultra-conservative. It's because she's unstable. Unstable. Unstable people are the ones who go from extreme to extreme. These are unstable people. That's why she can rant and rave against Black Lives Matter and rant and rave and hate activists, but be an activist herself. That's why she can be a social justice warrior for the political right and not see it. How do you make a whole living ranting and raving on Tucker Carlson and not understand that you're just like the Black Lives Matter activists that you hate? You just profiteered from it. You profiteered from it and you do it for the right, for their enjoyment, for them to clap. And she knows that she's not going to go nowhere. She knows that the, white, the poor whites are pushing her to, to run for office, but she would never win. She knows this. I believe she really does know this. But only unstable people do what she's doing. Only unstable people, you know, would call a 16-year-old a maniac. A dead 16-year-old a maniac. It's crazy. It's insane. And I know some of y'all are going to be like, well, that's, that's being rude to people with mental disorders. Listen, I have a mental illness, okay? Relax. But it is instability. And I think this whole issue just shows how unstable Black people are. The trauma with us goes really deep. And the longer we choose to do everything but face it head on and just admit that we have real problems and we're trying to work through it, we're going to constantly find weird ways to to blow off steam. And in this case, a lot of people are blowing off steam by using these online movements to do nothing but hate other people and waste your time. So I don't know. This is my assessment of the situation. Hopefully y'all understand like where I'm coming from with this because I feel like a lot of people won't understand, but hopefully y'all understand exactly why I feel so hopeless about my existence because this is what Black people have become. I don't think this is all we can be, but this is who we are right now. So anyway, if you enjoyed this episode, please, you know, like and share this video. Like and share this episode. Um, you can review my podcast on Apple Podcasts if you have an iTunes or, you know, an account. Definitely rate and review this podcast. That's a great way to show that you support me. And of course, make sure that you share this podcast episode with your friends and you can start the conversation on my Instagram. Feel free to DM me with your thoughts and concerns. All right. Um, There's like a really loud noise outside my window. I don't know what's going on there, but hopefully y'all can ignore that. And I will talk to you in the next episode. Bye.